This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Tom Halverson, President and CEO of CoBank. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with CoBank's Tom Halverson next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's crop insurance industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net, providing individualized protection on more than 311 million acres of farmland Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The U.S. economy is still mired in a months-long downturn from the COVID-19 pandemic. Tom Halverson, president and CEO of CoBank, says a recovery of the U.S. economy hinges on the success of COVID-19 vaccinations. Until we break the back of COVID-19... We can't sustainably revive the economy, deal with our uh, unemployment problems, uh, stop providing fiscal support uh, to to the public, etc. The cause of our problem is COVID, and the only way to solve our problems is to eradicate uh, COVID with the with the vaccines as comprehensively and as rapidly as possible. Did COVID exacerbate some problems we already had or create new ones or both? I think the answer is a little bit of both. For our business, what I've observed, and we have thousands of customers in rural America all over the country and multiple industries, as you know, and to a large degree what COVID did was it took trends that were already apparent and it massively accelerated them. So to to, to illustrate the point, what I the way I would describe it is, you got 10 years worth of normal times evolution uh, and change in one year, right? And so it's massively changed the way employees uh, and employers' relationships are because for in our business, for example, we've been working remotely since March of last year with 96% of our employees. No one would ever have thought such a thing were either, would either be either necessary uh, or possible. Uh, and we are just a microcosm of the dramatic acceleration of, of change that's happened in a great many uh, industries at a, at a pace that no one could ever have uh, anticipated or prepared fully for. So here's an opinion question. Will recovery mean back to normal or a new normal, and are we ready for that? I think the recovery will not be back to what we had before. So I'll give you a couple of examples. I don't think business travel will recover to... Uh, previous uh, levels anytime soon. I think people are just going to change the way that they do business and interact with people on a going forward basis. I think other sectors of the economy will be changed on a on a on a long term basis. So there will be uh, the economy will recover and revive, but it will transform and it will change and it will uh, manifest in uh, in different ways. Uh, and quite frankly. The resiliency and flexibility of our economy have uh, continued to demonstrate themselves yet again uh, at the time uh, that that we most uh, need it. 
whole new areas of activity and adaptations of existing industries have happened at a speed that you would not predict. But, you know, when I was a kid, my parents told me the old euphemism of necessity is the mother of invention, and so it has proven to be with COVID-19. If the U.S. had a debt problem prior to COVID, then we really have a debt problem now. But as one legislator shared with me uh, back uh, earlier in the winter, you really can't worry about the price of water when the house is on fire. But how do you see the debt from COVID assistance and others influencing policy decisions, perhaps maybe even a new farm bill in a couple of years? It's a, it's a great question. It's one I talk a lot about in my in my uh, public comments. And I said before COVID ever came along, I've been given public comments to the effect that the fiscal position of the United States government pre-COVID was on an unsustainable trajectory and in due course would have to be dealt with. But as you say, to, to borrow your own metaphor, right now the house is on fire, uh, and that is not the time to be arguing about the bucket and the price of the water and everything else. Right now what we have to do uh, is to uh, use all of our available tools in the toolbox uh, to keep the economy uh, turning over until we can eradicate uh, COVID-19 and have a sustainable recovery. Uh, interest rates are, uh, and, and therefore money is effectively zero, uh, and therefore the cost of borrowing is at an unbelievably uh, low levels. So in, in real terms, interest rates on a large part of the curve are, are negative. Uh, so we know we're borrowing a lot of money here that we'd rather not borrow, uh, but we have to do it uh, under the conditions of COVID-19 for this period. Our unsustainable fiscal trajectory is a real issue, uh, but it is more uh, uh, more urgent to eradicate COVID than it is to try and correct that right now, because if we tried to take fiscal consolidation actions right now, we'd make a really bad situation dramatically worse really quickly, right? So the answer to this is we need to address this issue once we get to the other side of the COVID pandemic uh, and we t- return to a, a, a position of, of sustainable non-inflationary growth where we can start to address the long-term fiscal uh, challenges that we all know we have. How do you expect this debt situation to affect uh, Ms. Yellen and the Treasury, the Fed's monetary policy, and, and how long can farmers and others expect these interest rates to stay where they are today? Well, I, you know, we're not all uh, political experts or interest rate experts. Um, I spend a lot of time thinking about uh, answers to questions like this. And what I tell you is we can all have a great deal of confidence, regardless of who's in the White House or who's in the majority in the House of Representatives or the Senate, in the Federal Reserve Board of the United States. And they have taken aggressive, uh, thoughtful, uh, proactive measures throughout this crisis, as they have in previous crises, uh, to do everything that they have in their power uh, to sustain economic activity. Now, they don't have the, uh, they are not the only game in town, right? They need the fiscal authority too, which is a, a separate question. Uh, but the, the, but the Fed has been very clear to us and to the market that they intend to keep rates at these levels uh, into the medium term. Their dot plot shows us their sentiments uh, privately expressed that the medium term out through 2022 will rates are likely to remain at these levels. That's certainly our expectation. So 
the fact of the matter is, while uh, federal debt is, is, is rising, the debt stock is rising uh, dramatically and quickly for the reasons that we've described, the actual debt service burden has fallen uh, because rates have fallen effectively to zero. And that's why uh, uh, borrowing uh, additionally at the present time is entirely financeable. Uh, the market can uh, continue to absorb it. And the challenge will come down the road if and when rates start to rise to more normalized historical levels, at which time that will focus our attention on the fiscal consolidation uh, question uh, once we get to the other side of COVID. So do you see a COVID's impact on agriculture over or how do you see it influencing the industry for the balance of 21 and into 22? If we'd had this conversation nine months ago, I would have been in a very different place because we were at the cusp of the worst economic contraction since the 1930s. Uh, we, we spiked to the highest level of unemployment since the Great Depression. We were at the front end of COVID. Uh, the agricultural uh, production complex in certain sectors uh, were being buffeted by dramatic contractions in uh, in the food service and restaurant space. So there was huge turmoil, and I would have expected to have a much tougher time for the rural economy generally and the agricultural economy in particular. What's transpired, however, is the lasting demonstration of just how capable, just how talented, just how flexible, just how resilient the agricultural production complex of the United States actually is. It is the absolute best in the world. And the ability of our industries to adapt to those dramatic transformations, high degrees of volatility, uh, and to work their way through all of those adjustments in such a very short space of time, and then to have to our uh, unexpected uh, uh, benefit fundamental supply and demand factors in world commodity, agricultural commodity markets in, in the last few weeks and several months uh, uh, create the fundamental conditions in which prices have gone up to levels which we haven't seen for a number of years is a dramatic additional tailwind to the benefit of, of the rural economy in general, but the agricultural economy in, in particular. And so I'm actually uh, very optimistic. We're in a very strong position uh, uh, from which uh, to go forward, and uh, much stronger than I would have anticipated uh, six to nine months ago, and that to a large degree is a is a uh, meritorious uh, demonstration of the skills and capabilities of our agricultural production complex. We've seen a really fast run-up in grain prices. It seems to be as well a two-edged sword. What's the impact for the grain farmer of the country, and what's the impact for the livestock producer? Because I don't think they're the same. No, they are, they are definitely not the same. I take them out, therefore, in, in two parts. Obviously, high commodity prices are good for producers, good for ag co-ops, other, uh, other agribusiness, uh, and, that's, and that's terrific. I think this is an important opportunity over the next uh, few months, assuming that these uh, higher levels of prices are, are sustained for a period of time. That's going to drag in a lot of additional acreage this year, I suspect, and a lot more uh, production to respond to lower stocks and so forth that have been the pr- principal reasons why prices, among the principal reasons the prices have risen uh, to these levels. On the other, so that's great for cash flow uh, for everybody uh, up the chain from the producer on uh, on up. On the other hand, the level of, of net farm income in 2020 was really, really uh, uh, high on a historical basis. 
and the amount of transfer payments from the federal government to the to the producers uh, was uh, exceptionally high as well, and I would argue is uh, at a level that's not sustainable. So uh, the producers and the industry and everyone involved are very fortunate uh, that 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 tailwind of high commodity prices, which are going to, which is going to dramatically improve everyone's cash flow, comes at exactly the moment uh, that we need it to be able to deal with what I expect to be a diminution of federal government support uh, that we saw ramp up over the last two years and be at an exceptionally high level in, in 2020. But the story for the livestock producer may not be the same. For anyone uh, for whom these commodities are an input to their cost of production, like uh, like the uh, protein complex, you know, uh, beef, pork, chicken, etc., cetera, uh, they are seeing significant price inflation on the input side, and that's going to... Uh, create margin pressures for them because they're in a different position uh, that's an input price as opposed to an output price. And so, yeah, I, w- I, would, I would anticipate that those sectors uh, are going to have this, uh, obviously, as a, as a headwind as long as these prices stay at these kinds of levels. Do you expect a better income outlook from the grain producer to trickle down to land prices, perhaps increase machinery purchases, or do you think they'll be more apt to just pay down debt? Debt levels are relatively high, but debt stock is only a part of the story. What matters is what is the cost of service, the debt that you've got, and what is your cash flow. So my expectation is uh, for for this year and, and probably a, a bit longer, uh, assuming prices stay at these levels for the for the commodities, that land prices will continue to be robust, and therefore the debt stocks themselves are not are not a reason for any great concern uh, in my mind because the cost of servicing the debt is re- is quite low by historical terms and people's cash flows in aggregate are quite robust. How much of the U.S. farm economic outlook, and you've mentioned this as a tailwind, is riding on China's recovery from COVID and recovery from African swine fever, and then just as important, the trade relationship between the two countries? Well, I talk a lot about uh, about trade. Uh, trade is exceptionally important to rural America and even more so to the agricultural production complex in this country. We export more than we have exported at any time in my life. We are so efficient and, uh, at producing uh, co- uh, commodity surpluses that are of, of, of the highest quality on, on earth that the future growth of, of earnings for producers and agribusiness in the United States significantly rides on our ability to continue to grow exports uh, long into the future because that's where our, our, our surpluses have to, go, to have to go. We're happily uh, benefited right now by the fact that the Chinese in particular, uh, China, uh, Mexico, and Canada are, are our top three agricultural uh, export markets. Uh, China in particular has been uh, dramatically increased its agricultural imports from the United States over the last uh, 12 months. We're happily able to uh, benefit from that because the fundamental supply and demand dynamics in China uh, justify them buying uh, very aggressively as they have. If you look at their soybean imports, for example, it's been a dramatic increase. They're also uh, trying to live up uh, to, uh, in a, to a reasonable degree to the commitments they made to uh, the previous administration in the phase one trade deal announced about a year ago. 
uh, and and they're uh, they're trying to to and in fact live up to those to the best that they can. I don't uh, frankly expect them to buy things that they don't need, but they need a lot of uh, of, of agricultural inputs for a lot of reasons to meet their domestic demand needs, including things like the rebuilding of their own uh, uh, swine uh, herds uh, because of the uh, culling that they did as a, as a result of the uh, of the fever problem they had over the last couple of years. So we've been in an exceptionally strong position to export uh, significantly more to China over the last 12 months, and, and I earnestly hope uh, that that will continue to be so and that, that we can continue the long-term trend that has prevailed regardless of which party controls the, the House or the Senate or the White House. That long-term trend has been to continue to grow export market share for U.S. agricultural commodities around the world. That has got to be, and I'm sure and confident will be, a priority of this administration, just like it was a priority of the last administration. Millions of bushels of corn demand have been lost, either because of EPA regulation and implementation of the RFS program or COVID's impact on gasoline demand. Do you think the country's at a crossroads with the decision on what energy sources it will use moving ahead? Well, that's a, that's a big question. I think we are in the process, frankly, uh, if you step back from biofuels and, and look at, you know, energy broadly, particularly uh, electricity and, uh, and, and renewables, the market has been accelerating uh, the the power transition away from fossil fuels towards uh, towards renewables, uh, not for political reasons, not even necessarily for tax policy reasons, but because market forces and prices in the marketplace are driving the industries in a particular uh, uh, direction. Uh, I think those trends will continue, and frankly, they're more likely to accelerate. Uh, because they will have the tailwind of, of federal government policy uh, pushing robustly on them in a way that wasn't the case uh, in the last uh, administration. So I, I, I look at the uh, the answer to this and how it relates to uh, ethanol, for example, as being uh, as as being uh, just one of a number of questions that will all be looked at by this new administration through the lens of of climate change. They, you can like it or not like it, but they have made that a, a an absolute top-of-the-house uh, priority. And there are climate change people in every cabinet department who are going to have to look at all policy issues through the lens of climate change, and that includes the United States uh, Department of Agriculture. And so I don't expect the, uh, the, uh, the biofuels industry to be, you know, uh, dramatically toggled up or down uh, in some uh, dramatic uh, fashion. I do expect it to be looked at with great care uh, and attention uh, by the by the relevant folks in the in the new administration through the lens, as I say, of of their broader analytical approach to uh, addressing issues of of, uh, of climate change. And in this regard, I think we were in good hands uh, with Secretary Vilsack, who knows and understands the issues in that space. Uh, extremely well and as a, as a person who uh, uh, rolls up the sleeves and gets into the weeds of, uh, of detail uh, before he makes judgments. Climate policy is said to be at the top of the list of the leadership of the House and the Senate Ag Committees of the administration. So what are your hopes or what are your concerns 
about climate policy and any amendments or additions that might come to farm policy? Well, my my hope is that uh, that environmental policy, uh, climate change policy, and the like will be driven by uh, by science, uh, listening, rational uh, rational uh, thought, uh, and careful consideration of of the details. And I trust. Uh, and believe that that will be so, both in the agriculture committees in the House and in the Senate, and in the relative uh, relevant uh, executive departments. So I'm I'm confident of that. I do know, however, that this is it's going to come at us all uh, uh, more pointedly, more quickly, and more comprehensively than we've had to deal with it in the past. So for for, for us in our business, for producers. Uh, for the agribusiness uh, industry in this country, uh, we're all going to have to up our game uh, to be good partners with, uh, with, with government, be they legislators or executive branch uh, uh, people, uh, to engage in a thorough, active, uh, science-based policy debate uh, of, uh, of, a, of a character and of a quality and, a, and of a breadth and depth that exceeds anything that we have uh, had to do before. Well, Tom Howerson, we want to thank you very much for your service to the industry of agriculture and certainly CoBank's assistance uh, to, uh, to uh, the industry nationwide. We'd like to thank you for being with us on this edition of Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and today you have the last word. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to be with you. And I have to tell you, I am incredibly optimistic at where we are uh, in, uh, in agriculture at the present time. That may sound odd given that we're, the worst days of uh, COVID-19 are still ahead of us. The economic consequences we're still dealing with. Uh, we're still dealing with some uh, political challenges in this country and the like. Uh, but I could not have, be more, uh, more proud and more amazed at the resilience and flexibility of our country and in the agricultural production complex in, in particular. I often say to people, you remember the old adage, better to be lucky than good? My preference is to be lucky and good. Uh, and agricultural producers and agribusiness in this country have been exceptional at both in the last three, six, nine months. We've been exceptionally good. The producers and the business have been exceptionally good and successful at, at dealing with years' worth of, of change and high-velocity change that has come at them in the space of six to nine months. And we've also been exceptionally uh, lucky, to be quite honest, because fundamental and supply and demand things that none of us have control in, in a, a very liquid uh, global agricultural commodity markets have moved very demonstrably in, in our favor over, over recent weeks and driven prices up to levels we haven't seen in a number of years. So we are in a much better position than probably any of us would have felt uh, uh, likely to occur if we were having this conversation six to nine months ago, I, I applaud uh, the industry for all the things that they have done to get us to this point. Uh, and I'm very optimistic about, uh, about what 2021 and 2022 uh, can mean for uh, rural America in general and for agriculture in particular. Our thanks to Cobank President and CEO Tom Halverson, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.